You're listening to the Own the Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from C-Link interviews experts on how SME developers and contractors can transform their business through intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Own the Build podcast with me, Paul Hemming and Liam how are you doing today Liam? I'm energised Paul, that beard's coming along nicely, I'd say you've got about as, as much hair on your face now as your head uh, my friends have been saying the same they're saying it's dwindling on my head but we'll, we'll, leave, we'll leave that topic, we don't need to go into it but the beard is actually heavily reduced from last week so it shows that you're not actually as engaged with my beard progress as you say because this is actually shaved but it's, 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 I'm disappointed. I thought you knew me. I thought you cared. Um. <laughs> Man can't grow a beard himself. He spends his entire life monitoring mine. I am going to introduce... That's, the no, that's usually how it works. It is. And, you know, I'm going to introduce someone with an equally impressive beard as my own. So today's episode is titled The Rapid Decline of the High Street. And we are joined by Andrew McDonald. Andrew is co-founder of two businesses, Credo Living and also Tandem Real Estate. He must be a busy man because I'm co-founder of one business and that's hard enough for me. So welcome to the show, Andrew. How are you doing? Yeah, no, good. Thank you. Ple- pleasure to be here and thanks for, thanks for inviting me onto your podcast. It's much appreciated. Hello, Andrew. Absolute pleasure to have you here, Andrew. Tell me. Good afternoon. What is it like found, being co-founder of two businesses at the same time? Oh gosh, there's there's a question. I mean, they say entrepreneurialism isn't a isn't a straight line, and you'll sort of see in in memes and in various booklets this sort of like line of spaghetti, which is you know the sort of curve to success, and it can you know it doesn't go like that. It goes up and down and wiggles and and uh, and squirrels. So you know, <laughs> depends which day you ask me, really, whether I'm on a sort of a, a bottom squirrel or a, or a top squirrel. But uh, that keeps me entertained. Keeps me alive. Where are we? Well, I'm, I'm, on, an up, I'm on an upward trend. Well, yes, it's Thursday today. Yes, yesterday was slightly downward, but today is looking more positive. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I read this thing where it was something like in business, when you're setting up a business, you'll have good months and you'll have bad months. And I thought, really? It feels like you have good hours and bad hours at times, doesn't it? <laughs> like when you first get started up, yeah. it's just it's tough. Yeah. So, uh, respect for co-founding two businesses. Tell me about those businesses. Tell us what you do with those two businesses. Well, okay. No, thank you. Um, so, yeah, that's right. I've co-founded Tandem Real Estate and Credo Living. I've been in corporate property in, in various guises. Um, and by that, I mean size of corporate companies for 25 years, from boutique niche agencies to you know the biggest I was in with was Capital Real Estate. So I've seen quite a, a wide range of cultures and and way things are done so after 20 odd years 23 24 years i decided to give it a go myself before my energy levels had dwindled too much with uh, another uh, another agent we set up tandem real estate which um actually got going in uh, well so we, we founded the business in in uh, 2020 and I, I left my last company the week of lockdown which was <laughs> i don't know if it was auspicious or not Time but, but, impeccably 
timing's everything isn't it so but yeah i had i had last year off we had the website up and running up you know I, I slowly sort of pushed it about and made sure my name wasn't forgotten but it also gave us time to set up uh credo living which is our residential development um commercial conversion platform so yeah so those are the two businesses which are keeping us occupied trying to trying to sort of work out optimal times and days and you know how I should be spending my time is a is a is <laughs> constantly a challenge but you know that's what we're here for to be tested <laughs> I, f- I feel I feel your pain Andrew I feel your pain but no it sounds great sounds like you're a busy man <laughs> yeah. tell me so your background is that you're a commercial agent is that right that's right yeah I start I, <clears throat> I started out in the, in the mid in the mid 90s just to show how uh, mature or experienced I am rather than old and that was that was in the sort of heady days of when you know retail was the retail sort of property market was really taking off you know shopping centers were were springing up all up and down the high uh, up and down our, our towns so that's yeah it's great years uh, as a commercial shop letting agent and I did that for 10 years mainly in central london so letting shops for on you know on a variety of high streets in the west end and the city I've let shops in big shopping centres around the UK and advised in shopping centre developments. So, yeah, that was my sort of early career as a commercial property agent. And then the natural progression for a lot of people is to move into the investment brokerage side. And that's what you have done? Yeah, yeah, sorry. So so after 10 years of doing that, I moved into yeah, the investment brokerage side. So basically, that, so rather than just being a letting agent, we get more involved in the buying and selling of commercial property investments it's lumpier deals there, there are less of them per year but the the fees are generally higher so yeah we you know we we basically take briefs from various clients and you know hunting briefs and go and look for deals for them so that's how it, that's how it's been for the last 15 years or so yeah yeah excellent so i am going to hold my hands up now and i'm going to ask liam to try and hold his hands up with me to make me feel a bit better right i don't know if he'll do it but let's let, let's see if he do it. he's doing it let's see so <laughs> commercial agent beyond the obvious it's not a job role that i know a huge amount about kels are you with me or do you know a huge amount about this <laughs> i'm with Come you on. paul i'm with you yes <laughs> we're together so right in the context of the conversation, we're going to be talking about the decline of the high street. Tell us exactly what a commercial agent does and how. Okay. Well, I mean, in, in, this, in the simplest of terms, it's like being a, a posh estate agent, really. Most commercial estate agents are qualified chartered surveyors. And, and rather than dealing with residential property, you deal with commercial property. So... You know the premise is the same. Um, you need somebody to let shops, and you need as as you need somebody to let houses and flats, and you need somebody to sell shops and industrial warehouses and offices, in the same way that residential agents sell houses, I guess. So it's just it's just the same skill set, really. Yeah. And in terms of the high street, you mentioned that you've be you've you started in the nineties in that role, and you've obviously seen things evolved significantly over the years since. So it gives you a really good grounding in the decline of the high street. I see that you've written quite a lot about the decline of the high street or the evolution of the high street, if you like. Yes. When you hear that phrase, the decline <laughs> yeah. of the high street, what, what does it actually mean to you personally? 
Well, I, I think that's a good way of saying it, actually, the evolution. It was probably the late 90s when um, internet shopping started to, to take off. And I was, I was working at Stratton Parker at the time and people were proclaiming the death of the high street and, you know, how everybody's going to sit on their sofas. 20 years later, they've probably been proven partly true, like, a, like you know, stop watches correct twice a day. But <laughs> it, it, it became boring to listen to, really. Yeah. So, so I, I tuned out to it. But um, it, it became more and more inevitable or more, more obvious in the sort of year or two preceding Brexit and certainly post-Brexit and, and through to the pandemic that, um, you know, de de death's a horrible word, isn't it? You know, the, the sort of drastic reshuffle of the, of the high street is probably a better way of looking at it. I would say. But, but what does it mean to you? The let's not call it the death then. Let's call it the drastic reshuffle of the high street. Like, how do you see it? Well, what has been frustrating is just watching it happen very slowly. You know, when I first started out, retailers were taking 300 shops across the country. I'm talking broad generalisations. And, you know, in the mid-2010s Brexit time, they trimmed their requirements to 30 shops because of online trade and such like. And, you know, there were fewer retailers taking shops uh, fewer new entrants to the market. Development and innovation had slowed down as pension funds and big property developers had moved away from the sector. So the sort of advancement which had happened in the in the 90s and the early 2000s leading up to the credit crunch of these very nice shopping centres springing up. Um, and, that, you know, even that was happening in the early 2010s. That kind of hit the skids at around Brexit and has never got going again. But what, what it has forced us, what COVID has forced us just to really reimagine and go back to the drawing board of what our town centres should be like. So I, I, th I think, personally think it's a hugely exciting time for the high streets. And so is that what then made you passionate to set up Credo Living, which as I understand it, is all about realising the opportunities in reorganising the high street? Yeah, it's it's quite it's quite natural for agents to want to turn into developers as they get a bit older. So it was it was primarily born from you know wanting a change of career really. But in in a way in a way the sort of the pandemic has been fortuitous for us. And I, you know I hate I hate to say that, but um, yeah, it's led to more more vacancies on the high street and planning regulations are changing, and it's becoming easier in theory to to change commercial property and, and now retail into into flats alongside that you know and that's 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 fairly hackneyed it's a, it's a, that's a crowded market there's also these um more interesting uses which are coming through and you, know, you can hardly open up um a you know property press publication without somebody coming up with a bright new idea and it's great to see so these co-living spaces part hotels co-working food halls back in 2012 box park was right at the forefront of of retailing you know there's just going to be so many more entrants such as that who are going to come forward and wow us all um that's what that's what i'm looking forward to so we're, so we're trying so to establish excited. i'm excited yeah yeah that's um, good that's good curls yeah. come on i can no, see well, you're, you're chomping <clears throat> at the bit here. <laughs> i was thinking about this last week actually and i was thinking about uh well two things because i think Theo profitas you know, from ryman said that what COVID has done is, is just accelerated everything by five years. So with regards to the high street or people using certain tech or e-commerce or whatever, it was always going to happen, but it's accelerated everything significantly. And then I was thinking about 
like LPs, records. And, and you tend to see this in a lot of industries where there's kind of this transformation. Everyone moves in this one direction. Um, so in this case, away from the higher street. And then at some point, relatively soon, because so many people, so many businesses have moved away, suddenly some businesses recognize, hey, no one's there anymore. I could do something cool there. And and with the record, suddenly, although it's not a smart business for, you know, an enormous multinational business to start setting up a chain of record shops, it could be a great business for a small business to do it really well because no one does it anymore. And, and that's not the case now because they are popping up everywhere. But I think that, I was thinking that, like you say, Box did it and you, and you are going to start finding these yeah, interesting yeah. things. Well, that, that, that is right. You know, what, what was happening is um, there, there was such a, you know, from the mid-90s to 2010, say, there was such a fight for vacant shops amongst all the national multiple retailers that there was no space for the you know, the mum and pop shops, the sort of family businesses to to compete because they couldn't pay the rents and landlords didn't want them because they weren't guaranteed to be there forever. But with all the holes we're seeing now in the high street and national multiple retailers having such sophisticated online presence, it is definitely providing the space for the more interesting retailers that, you know, the LP shops or artisan coffee shops and oh, I can think of others, but, you know, for the sort of local businesses and, and, and the passionate entrepreneur to come in and take a shop at a realistic rent. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll, it'll be full circle. We'll go back to what the high streets were in a way 30, 40 years ago with, with, uh, with local businesses. Can I ask one more quick question to Andrew? Oh, up. come on. Oh, sorry. I've got one more. <laughs> I was going to pick up on what you said. So as yeah. um, agents get older, they start to move into development. You said something along those lines, right? Yeah. So why is that? It tends to happen. It can happen, yeah. What, what, why do, why what, is that? Why does that happen? Yeah. People often say agency is a young man's game. And it's, uh, you know, if I was being rude, it's like, well, actually, I won't Lots of drinking and having fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> the, the good old days. But but um, it's 100 phone calls a day, lots of drinking, out to the bars, socialising, trying to do as many deals as possible. And then, it's, it's, you know, as, you old, as you age, it's just, you just sort of naturally slow down and perhaps want to concentrate on fewer but bigger projects. And also, as an agent, you are being bossed about and which becomes slightly less interesting when you become to your 40s you'd, you'd rather be the one not giving orders but it comes a bit harder being being told what to do the whole time so uh, so people just want to sort of be in charge there's, there's possibly more money in development if you do it well you're 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 generally in charge of your own destiny really uh, i think that's a large part of it and and that is the step which you have now taken yes so that's what Credo Excellent. Living is. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. And so let's talk about what you're doing with Credo Living and the opportunities around that right after this break. Own Build is brought to you from our sponsor, C-Link. Software used by developers and main contractors to manage subcontract procurement in one place. Find subcontractors automate tenders and contracts, control construction program, compare prices, and improve project profitability with C-Link. To find out more, 
head to c-link.com. Now back to the show. So, Andrew, we want to talk about uh, the evolution of the high street and we want to talk about how you and your businesses are actually trying to capitalize from that. What are the opportunities and how are you operating to uh, capture them? Right. So, yeah, Tandem Real Estate is my commercial agency, which I'm still running, and Credo Living is my development platform. What I think where we have a bit of a niche is that people can quite often make the jump from agency to to development and then sort of shut themselves off from their previous career. There are a lot of agents who actually do developments behind the scenes and will turn houses into flats or maybe buy a shop and let it vacant shop and let it to a retailer. But they do it quite covert, uh, covertly. Yes, that's the right word. But I've chosen to do it the other way around. So I'm prepared to put myself out there and have my agency running and my development platform running at the same time. And they both they both link in together well because with my agency platform, I've got connections up in the West End, good connections amongst the agency for eternity. So access to deals and also access to capital. You know, a lot of my old uh, network and, and client base are, are, are wealthy. So potential co-investors for for deals that we bring in at Credo Living. So, yeah, I spend my time looking for deals for clients, for my historic client base in a sort of a commercial agency capacity, trying to find deals for my old clients. But at the same time, I'm looking out for deals for for Credo Living to, you know, to convert, at the moment, to convert small shops and offices into, into flats. But, yeah, we, we want to grow. Um, we want to sort of, we want to have access to, co-living brands, apart hotels, co-working, food halls, and have all that, all those sort of alternative uses under our uh, under our wing, as it were. So we've got a full sort of gamut of occupiers to, to take re- vacant space, which we can buy, if that makes sense. To service, which is great. So you've got, you've got the people that can come in, but what are the opportunities that you see for developers right now on the high street? So you mentioned that that is converting shops, small shops, into res units. What are you focusing on? What, where do you think the opportunity? Yeah, lies? well, I, um, I'm not sure how familiar you guys are with the with the planning system and and uh, prop your eyes open with some matchsticks before I give you a thirty second potted history. Um, class MA. We were doing oh, a lot well, of talking about class MA and you're in with you're Nimbus in. Maps a few weeks ago. So we right. we do know what we're we wow. Girls, do we know? But what, what, how are we going to frame this? Yeah, well, I mean, we we, we potentially know that a little bit more than than Andrew thought we did. Fairly, <laughs> very fairly thought we did. Yeah. yeah. So we're we're all right. We've got a we've got a right. baseline understanding, Andrew. Good. Well, there you go. I, I mean, that, that. So the question <laughs> is, what are the opportunities? Where yeah, are they? And where, how where are how they? are you accessing them? What I spend a lot of time doing is going to various towns around my locality you know within a half an hour to an hour drive affluent towns looking at certain property which i think is looking tired or um, maybe vacant Uh, and then you know i spend time doing land registry searches writing bespoke letters to each landlord trying to 
engage in conversation, you know, pick up off-market deals. It's bread and butter stuff. And, you know, I wish I could say there was a, a magic formula to it or uh, something more glamorous. And, you know, there will be down the line. There'll be other opportunities. But but really, it's boots on the ground, look, looking at where and which high streets have, have suffered the most and, and, you know, strategically trying to pick up vacant property in those towns which will convert economically and, and sell well. And and how how you said looking at the high streets that have suffered the most, how do you know that? Or is are you just going boots on the ground and seeing which because you talked about affluent areas and high streets that suffered the most. How do you narrow that down? Yeah. Well actually that, that is um that is an interesting point because ironically the because of the sort of migration away from town centres, uh, city centres rather, you know, people working from home. You know, I, I live in a in a commuter town about forty five miles or forty miles out of central London. You know, the, the occasional the occasional day beforehand where I was working from home, and if I popped into the local town, it would be it would be deathly. But you know, these these commuter towns now are actually quite busy during the week. Um, buzzing, well, yeah, mm, <laughs> buzzing with electric trucks. Busy, yeah. Ele- <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. So 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 in actual fact, the, the the leasing prospects of vacant shops in affluent towns surrounding the big cities has ironically got better since COVID. It's the big city centre shops which are suffering where, where rents were very big and, you know, whatever the capacity is of London now, whether it's, I couldn't tell you what it is, whether it's running at 60 to 70%. For the bigger developers, that's where opportunities may lie. You talked about <clears throat> identifying the high streets that have suffered the most. Are you saying that the high streets have, that have suffered the most are actually in city centres then? The towns where the rents have historically been the biggest per square foot seem to be suffering the most because that leads to global rents, high global rents, which retailers now avoid paying. So places like, uh, I'll name it, I'll probably annoy some people, but places like Guildford, which uh, have got very historic high rents, have been struggling. Whereas I live in a little town outside Guildford with low rents, and you know retailers are prepared to take a punt on taking a shop at fifty thousand a year, but you know gone are the days where they'll put, take a punt on taking a shop for a quarter of a million or half a million pounds a year, um, which you know which was the you know which was the bread and butter for the bigger cities. So yes, there's the vacancy in the big cities. Yeah, yeah, is a bit higher. So it's the it's the big towns around around the cities where there is potentially opportunity, which you're now pushing for and then you will you will identify places you'll speak to whoever is the owner and then you're trying to effectively convert those into residential units into apartments yeah 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 it, it, it pretty is pretty much as simple as simple as that for the meantime it's uh yeah old, old-fashioned agency trying to dig up deals off market um and then you know trying to create a I don't like the saying, but a win-win solution for ourselves and the and the freeholder, you know, whereby we can buy their property at a price which suits them but suits us. You are sounding like an agent now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't help it. <laughs> I hope it didn't sound like a complete tripe. But <laughs> no, not, at all. Not, not at all, not at all, Jackie. Yeah. With all your experience as an agent in the commercial field and a lot of smaller developers... Um, and developers in general are, are paying close attention now to uh, the opportunities in commercial. Yeah. Could, is there one 
mistake or misconception that you find developers or many developers repeatedly have around developing in that space? Yeah, that's a good question. The biggest error people tend to make is become a motivated buyer and trying to make the figures work because they are closing in an ordeal and they haven't been able to buy anything for a number of months. So trying to sort of manipulate the spreadsheet to actually make the deal work, that that is a real, you know, it's got it's a gold rush type scenario. These deals don't pop up daily. You know, you, you might get onto one a month, which is worth looking at. And it can be, you know, highly, highly depressing once you you run your your due diligence to find out that it's actually not quite much worth as much as as it was, or or, or you thought it was, and that's when you've got to let go. Really, you don't want to get summit fever. So it's like the professional poker player that only plays fifteen percent of their hand, as opposed to the the amateur that's playing fifty because the professional is patient and they know that they only play the right hand. Yes, that's right. And, and, and in order to get the position where you, get, where you get to play the right hand or choose the hand to play, you've got to ensure that you're seeing enough deals so you don't become fixated on too few. So that, that is, I think, fundamental is establishing your network, making sure you're seeing enough deals, getting out to towns, going on viewings, so you don't get disheartened when you know the one you've got in your crosshairs turns out to be a dog, but you know I've seen so many people who still chase chase these things down because you know it's FOMO, isn't it? Nothing else going on. So yeah, when you're walking the high street, where are these? Because it's hard to imagine lots of residential units on the high street. High street, or how how is it going to look? Where are these? Where are these units going to be in the future? They're not going to be on the high street yeah well i don't know you know if you if, if you um britain's fairly peculiar in relation to our european cousins which where, where their towns tend to be more of a mix of shops and and houses scattered around but britain has historically if you drive through sort of rural france and germany and and such like you'll see shops next to houses and uh, you know it's not it's not the same in the big cities but yeah that's how it's been but you know the change in planning legislation effectively means that the ground floor of a shop, uh, if certain conditions can be met, can be turned into uh, a flat. But just because it can doesn't necessarily mean it should. Well, that's the question, isn't so, it? So, well, as a developer, you've got to you've got to think think about, it, haven't you? So, yeah. when you're identifying, does it does it matter when you're walking when you see these empty shops? Do you think, oh, that one? I don't think that is sensibly going to be converted well into flats. How do you, how do you see it? Or are you just looking at where it is and thinking it's in Guildford or it's in one of these towns where it makes sense and therefore I'm going to engage and, and try and work out the numbers on it? Well, I typically, when I go to the towns, I typically look at sort of secondary and tertiary pitches. So the, 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 edge, of the edge of the prime areas. I tend not to base my business model on the actual ground floor of the shop being turned into flats. I'm more looking at the upper parts. Um, so I'm looking if they may be vacant offices or it may be storage space, which is currently occupied by 
the retailer or was occupied by the previous retailer. So, so your 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 business plan is to identify places on the high street and then develop mixed use schemes. So you're going to keep the ground floor commercial in some description and then residential on top. Is that what you're saying, effectively? Yes, effectively. I mean, you know, in certain in certain scenarios, it may be that the whole of the property could be turned, you know, into into flats if it's right on the edge of the town and such like. Um, and you know, you've got to use your imagination if you look at a property and say, "Will that, you know, will that look like a ground floor house or ground floor flat or, or not?" But what I won't do is place too much future value on the commercial element of the development because I think that's out that's out of my control at the moment. The letting market comes with, in my mind, too much risk to to base a, a business plan on actually getting a tenant in at a certain rent. It can, it can be it can be the icing on the cake. So if you see a property which is vacant and then you think, well, I can get eight, six or eight, ten flats in there but, and leave a small shop on the ground floor, then that's that's fine. But, you know, because it's just such a small component of the development. Other, others will, but I won't, I won't take too much letting risk on the, on the commercial space at the moment. So, Andrew, we're coming kind of towards the end of the show. You're a man who has got a broad spectrum of business experience. You have, you have two of your own businesses. What are the things that you're most interested in at the moment what are you researching at the moment well that's a that's a polite way of saying you're very old aren't you and long in the tooth so 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 so, so thank you for that <laughs> i didn't <laughs> say that andrew <laughs> i'm pulling i'm pulling a leg <laughs> so i took an interest in 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 mentoring a couple of years ago when i was working in a small corporate small corporate i was working in a small company without a corporate culture and I felt like I'd finished. Uh, I'd finished my personal development. And if somebody had said the words to me, "personal development," three or four years ago, I'd have rolled my eyes and probably, you know, made them down a shot of zambuca. But um, you know, I think there's. I think. I think there's. I think. I think there's more to it. <laughs> and the more you get dragged down the rabbit hole of mentoring and into the access of of your own mind and and and. Uh, and correct thinking, the more interesting it becomes. So, yes, I, I have recently become a qualified mentor and a qualified NLP practitioner. So that's sort of that's keeping me busy in my spare spare time. Oh, nice! Yeah. Really? Yeah. How do you use NLP in your day job? It, it's difficult. Um, NLP is everything from rapport building to to working out people's body languages to organising your own thoughts. And I asked our NLP. Hang on, I, I feel like I should have been told this before we got no, right. <laughs> I didn't prepare myself. I'll give you fe- I'll give you feedback at the end if you want. But uh, but, but, but yeah, no, I bet there's there's, there's got to be a lot for curls. <laughs> you could you, you they say an NLP. I'm slightly dubious of it that you can sort of tell you know by which way people are looking, left, right, up, down. If you know what they're thinking or if they're lying. Uh, but no, I it's, can see yeah. Liam is now just trying not to look anywhere and then straight on. <laughs> He's deadpan now, isn't he? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah. No emotion, nothing. <laughs> but it's just a way of it's just a way of of thinking correctly. You know, I, I asked our NLP instructor what he what he you know how how I should describe it, and he said it's the it's the codification of excellence, which which then meant nothing to me at all. So. Um, uh, you know, for me, it's just uh, it's just a, a course in, in personal development, which I apply to myself and, and try to take through on a daily basis. Well, that it's it's fascinating, and I think it's 
This conversation is made for a great episode, Andrew. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll be putting your details in the podcast description. Look him up. He's going to... He's going to know all about your body language. I'll tell you <laughs> next week what he said about Liam's because I'm in equally intrigued to know and Liam is very nervous right now. But no, honestly, Andrew, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, it's, been, it's been great fun. Thanks for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Good to see you, Andrew. Thank you. <laughs> pleasure. Good to see you. Thanks, Andrew, and Thank I'll see you next week, Liam. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye. Okay. Okay.